0: Welcome to the Good Radio Network, radio that does a world of good. This isn't your average talk radio show. We're blasting away the old tried and not so true mold. Instead, TGRN turns talk into action. And action leads to doing positive things for people, our environment, and even the animals.
1: Well, I'm only one person. What can I do?
0: A lot. Join host Frankie Picasso while she turns talk into doing and gets results. This is the Good Radio Network. Yes, you can do it if you try, even if you're just a regular guy. Now here's your host, Frankie Picasso. <laughs>
2: Good day, and welcome to the Good Radio Network. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and today I am so excited for you to meet my guest. But first, today's good minute. In honor of the passing of Dr. Wayne Dyer, beloved self-help guru, motivational expert, Hay House is making available to anyone this special opportunity to watch his movie, The Shift, for free. I think it's only available for the next six or seven days. So if you are interested, go to the Good Radio Network on Facebook which is facebook.com slash thegoodradionetwork, and I put a link there that will take you directly to the movie so that you can download it and watch it for free. Now, I know my guest today is having a little bit of a problem calling in, so I'm going to hopefully she can get in to see us. We are live now, so if she would like to try again at 1-845-241-9943, maybe we can help her. Uh, with all her good wishes to, to be able to call in, she's having a little bit of trouble with the phone line for some reason. Um, my guest is Nisal Parik. She is the founder of Innovate Social and the author of the upcoming book, 51 Questions on Social Entrepreneurship, and host of the Innovate Social podcast. I'm just watching my board here, hopefully uh, waiting for her to call in if she can, and I'm just going to check and see if I have another message from her telling me that she's still having trouble. It's always a little bit of uh, a danger when you're live and and things go a little bit funny. But it's okay. I have faith uh, that she's going to get in. Some folks had a little bit of problems last week, too, but they were calling in through Skype. So I'm not really sure what's going on. But I do want to have her on the show, and I do want you to hear what she has to say. So I'm going to wait just another minute before I introduce her. And uh, we'll talk about, let's talk about Dr. Wayne Dyer Uh, beloved guru, isn't he? I mean, who hasn't absolutely loved everything that he's done? And and I know that for many, many years, Wayne has been somebody that I have looked up to. And I remember um, one of the most important things I thought he said, um, especially after 9-11, I was very disturbed about CNN and all of the news repeating and repeating and repeating. And if you remember back to that time, while it was a horrific event that happened, planes coming to the Twin Towers in New York City, I think what happened after was even more horrific because as we watched and watched and watched the event over and over and over again, uh, people became more and more depressed. Everything became very negative. And um, Dr. Dyer had once said when I saw him that he doesn't watch the news because if you can't change it, don't let it affect you. And and I really took that to heart because I, I noticed that, you know, people sat glued watching the same event, you know, over and over and over, and it was very disturbing, and I think we have her. Good morning. Is this Nisel? Yes, good morning. Good morning. Thank goodness we got you. I'm <laughs> sorry you had some problems getting in here. I was just talking about Dr. Wayne Dyer, and, and you know, in his passing, they have made... Um, His movie, The Shift, for free, Hay House has made it available for like seven days. People can go and download it for free. And about how he spoke about the news and negativity. And if you couldn't change it, then maybe you shouldn't watch it.
1: Yes. yes. I think that I read that they were trying to, um, three million people watch it. So they're hoping that that was their goal for releasing it, which is kind of great.
2: Well, let me introduce you now that you're here. Um, As I said, and everybody's been waiting to to meet you, this is Nitha Perrick and she is the founder of Innovate Social, author of the upcoming book, 51 Questions on Social Entrepreneurship, and we'll have to ask her why that is, and host of the Innovate Social podcast. Nitha is a master storyteller, an experienced communicator with a specialty in social enterprise, startup social media strategy, writing, blogging, and public speaking. And you'll find out later today why that is. Today, social entrepreneurs are a new breed of business owners. They're conscious of their impact. Uh, they are pioneering solutions for social and environmental challenges, from mental health to nutrition, homelessness to climate change, and more. And it is in this space of social impact where Nethel shines. Her company, Social Innovation, works with entrepreneurs, companies, and individuals to help each of them reach their impact potential. With over a decade of experience in corporate education, nonprofit, government, social enterprise settings, Nitha holds a BA in International Political Science from UCLA, where she interned at the U.S. Consulate in Mumbai, India. She also pursued her interest in international work through volunteering in rural India, and studying public human rights law in Geneva and Strasbourg. Nitha holds a JD and is licensed to practice law in Washington. Her past experience also includes strategy roles at Fine Law, consulting roles at Calvert Foundation, and Net Impact, as well as a handful of early uh, stage startups. She was the 2012 New Leaders Council Silicon Valley Fellow, and she served on the advisory board. She's also engaged with the executive team of VLAB, the MIT Enterprise Forum Bay Area chapter at Stanford University, as their outreach chair. So you can see she's scary smart, she's creative, innovative, exciting, beautiful, and she is now one of the good radio hosts. Uh new hosts, strategic partners and we are very happy to welcome her to team good and to the show. So, welcome Neetha. Thank you so much. Thanks, Saikya. Thanks for the wonderful introduction. Uh you know, uh when I go to your website, social innovate. Um or innovate social, the these big bold letters, you know, pop up and it says how do you create impact? So I'm going to ask you, how do you create impact? <laughs> That's a great question,
1: <laughs> and, it, and it's pretty fitting. Um, yeah, I think um, over the course of my um, my education and my work, I think that impact has always been kind of threaded in everything I do. So what's great about Innovate Social is every single thing I do around this work, I feel like there's impact related. Every blog post, every piece of content, um, every interview, so I feel like everything um, is around the idea of, of creating impact through making this space more actionable and um, and more available to people so that they can engage. Oh, and that sorry. It I don't know where
2: that find- came from. Sorry, that is so strange. I apologize. I don't know where that came from. Oh. How strange. Very weird. Okay, I'm sorry. Was that mine or yours? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Are you still with me? (laughs) Yeah, that has never happened before. Okay. (laughs) That has never happened to me before. Okay. (laughs) The impact space.
1: Yeah. So the impact space. So um. So that's just kind of what I'm. You know, I feel like everything that I'm doing now is all is kind of all centered around this idea of um of creating impact or enabling people to create impact in what they're doing in their lives. Um, in their in the startups that they launch, and their careers, and the in the purchasing decisions that they make.
2: So, when you were a little girl, and you you know what were you going to be when you grew up? What were you thinking?
1: Yeah, what that's think a would question. Uh, I I've always been an animal lover, so I think growing up oh. I was wondering if I might become a veterinarian. <laughs> um, <laughs> me too. Me too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but I think uh, besides that, I, I really, I think I didn't have, um, you know, a set plan, which was good because in college it definitely shifted. I started out in the sciences and ended up doing, you know, political science and business. So um, so I think I had an open kind of mind, but I kind of had that little bit of that um, entrepreneurial sense as well. So finding ways to, you know, satisfy all of those different things has been exciting.
2: I think you told me that you moved around. Quite a bit. You've lived many different places. Yes, yes. Growing up,
1: I've lived in like 20 places growing up. um, uh, You know, probably before my early 20s. So uh, my dad's a civil engineer, so he grew up um, moving all around. I was born in Oklahoma, and I've lived all around the U.S. um, and in Canada, in part, and um, and abroad as well. So um, it definitely made for an interesting, like interesting childhood because we were. Um, sometimes in places for a year or two years and then moving. So um, just like the idea of being adaptable and being able to also kind of appreciate every different place or find something interesting or, you know, unique about every place, whether it was, you know, Pullman, Washington, or Charlottetown from Edward oh. Island, or Boise, Idaho, or, you know, Houston, Texas, um, just kind of finding ways to, um you know make friends, you know, kind of adapt and um and then also you know find our own voices and all of that was a was a unique experience,
2: yeah, I'm sure all of that really helped to shape you know who you are because as you move either either you're very outgoing and you make new friends and you see things or you become very timid and shy and say, "You know what's the point? I'm going to move away again you know it could go either way, but we're very glad that that uh you you were so adaptable. And and I think it really helps. I think you need to be adaptable to be an entrepreneur, don't you?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think especially in this space of, like, this social entrepreneurship or impact entrepreneurship, there's so many different variables at play. So you're, you know, like some of the, um, the entrepreneurs I meet with, they're trying to create this incredible impact, um, social impact, plus they're trying to run a business. So being able to um, – adapt to the circumstances, to the many moving parts and the variables, I think, ends up being a strength for um, for a lot of people in this space.
2: Yeah. You know, um, one of the questions I know that you're going to answer in the book, but let, let's talk about this for a moment. Well, first, I have to ask you, why 51 questions? Why not 52 <laughs> questions? <laughs>
1: like you know, we're used to 50 questions, but this is just one more. You know? yeah. Just one more. Time. And another
2: thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cute. So if I was um, an entrepreneur today and I thought uh, that I would like to um, start an impact venture or I have a, an ongoing business, can I can I create impact now even though I didn't intentionally start out to do that? Is that possible for me?
1: That's a really great question. Um, and there are so many ways that companies
2: do uh,
1: incorporate impact, even if it wasn't one of their, like, founding principles. So there's a lot of different certifications out there. I'm sure a lot of the listeners, and you're probably also familiar with, like, the B Corp certification or Fair Trade or uh, many of those different ways. So those are ways that, like, existing companies can kind of show their solidarity or commitment to creating social impact, Um and things like that. Um, and then there's just the huge and growing space of like corporate social responsibility, CSR. Um, I think before, you know, in the past decade, it was some companies were engaged and it was kind of a nod to like, okay, you know, we're trying to do good or it's maybe part of the marketing campaign. Um, but it's shifted so much. Now companies are so engaged and, you know, their CSR po- uh, policies and initiatives are really um, Interactive and things like that, so I think those are ways that existing companies can engage, and there's also like legal structures and all these really um structural kinds of ways too. but we're at a really amazing time i think of of history where there's people are think- rethinking business just as a way business works and trying to think about mm-hmm. ways um that you know that impact can be a part of that, and it's not like a separate. It's not like okay, this is what I do during my you know my hours at work, and then afterwards I volunteer and do good things. They they're looking right. for some kind of synchronicity, maybe.
2: <laughs> is there a percentage that that a corporation, let's say as far as impact goes, is there a percentage that says okay, now I'm, I'm a company with impact, or you know, is it thirty percent or forty percent or ten percent? What that allows them to say that yeah that's a good question.
1: you know I think the the field is still emerging and evolving, so some of those like kind of objective benchmarks aren't aren't there yet, and a lot of the terms are self self um prescribed kind of so I think the industry that's supporting social entrepreneurship is is kind of working to create some Benchmarks that are more, you know, objective. So I think hopefully, if we don't see something like that now, in the future, we can. Um, there are some different assessments and things, um, company know kind of to kind of gauge their impact. So B Lab has, mm-hmm. I think, for a free assessment on their website. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that there's an exact uh, number around that.
2: You know, it's really interesting when you go to research this work because. You know, every, I, I don't know, is it every decade or whatever in business, there, there's like, I call it the bingo buzzwords. And, you know, everybody starts talking the same rhetoric and the same acronyms and the same, you know what I'm talking about? And it's interesting that that each generation of business kind of has their own, their, like even 10 years ago, it was totally different than from today. The words that people are still, you know, using uh, similar yeah. words yeah. That, that come around in business. It's very interesting to me. So if I wanted to start, I mean, one of the things that your company does and that you specifically do is that you offer tools to help people do this, you know, to to, to, to reach their impact and to see what their impact is today. So what kind of tools are those? Yeah, so right
1: now a lot of the tools are around um, actionable information. So how mm-hmm. could you as like a startup founder – Kind of figure out what what your options are because one of the things, um, and I think one of the amazing things about the space, but one of the things that um, that could also lead to challenges is, is that now there's so many more options, and I think that there's this you know uh, paralysis of analysis that can happen yeah. because sometimes you're like already I'm a startup founder, there's already a million things I have to do now I have to think about all these extra legal structures and these different business models, so I think that's really what um, innovate social is kind of what we are trying to be is like the easy button for social impact to learn what you need to do so it's actionable so you can actually go and um, make decisions. So a lot of like um, with, with the podcast and the book coming up, there's an online class that we're working on. And these are all tools to distill the information so you know, okay, based on the kind of company that I'm trying to launch, I think these two legal structures are good options. And I think this certification would be a good one, and I think that's where we can focus our time. Or maybe you say, you know what? Right now, a, a whole legal structure is not—it's we're just not in the position to do that. So we'll just start in a in a simpler way, and maybe try for a certification or something like that. And we have um we can map out our plan, and maybe in the next couple of years, we can you know think about incorporating some of the other um, elements and aspects. So I think that's kind of uh, that's the space that um, I I am from my. When I've had a chance to speak and engage with people, I all I realize that even though this information has now been out for four or five years, like the different um, and a lot of my lens, like you'll hear legal structure a lot because that's my lens into the space. But there's still a lot of um, a lot of people don't know about it, or or are unsure, or it feels overwhelming. So I think mm-hmm. some of the work, the work that I'm trying to do is just to make a lot of that simpler, and so that it's, you have what you need so you can really just go and act and do and kind of. Like I, I, I tell myself always, how can I reach my impact potential as well? So, kind of help people to reach theirs and, and help them and their companies as well.
2: So I guess it's almost like you really have to have clarity. I mean that elevator speech of clarity of of what your business is and what it is that you want to accomplish with that business in in the social impact, you know, sphere. I guess it's it's twofold, yeah. but it's it could be one. I mean, it could be that your your business is actually to make an impact or the impact is secondary to what your business is.
1: Yep, yep, and I, that's a really great uh, that's a really great point you bring up because there's this idea of some companies will call themselves we're impact first because what they're saying mm-hmm. is like you know our bottom line is second, but we're impact first, and that's an interesting space because you also have nonprofits and many nonprofits are right. have amazing revenue models and are doing are doing well, um, but they would say they're impact first, and that's why I, I think. Uh, there's also this blurring of lines between what we've always thought of as for-profit and non-profit, and now we have these hybrid, you know. So it's a very interesting kind of time to be, you know, just kind of looking into this thing. And I think what's great is the more people we bring to the table, um, the more creative ideas that will come out of it, both in the sense of really interesting and creative business models and um, different ways Another big area in the space that's interesting is how do you measure impact? Like we know, Mm -hmm. you know, we we have an idea of a bottom line that companies can look at. We have a stock market. We have ways of measuring and uh, analyzing a bottom line. But this idea of this triple bottom line that's looking at more than just profits, but that's looking at the people and the planet that um, a company impacts, we're still learning what that means to um, quantify that and be able to compare apples to apples.
2: Yeah, I mean, they managed to do it with quality. So if you can assess quality, and, and I think impact is similar in a way because it does take into effect the culture and, and um, the business model, and, and you know the, the spokes of the wheel of, that quality has um, as you as you go into um, this impact organization. But a lot of people are confused, I think, between because the first thing that you would think of is I, I want to go do good in the world. Oh, then you're going to be a nonprofit. Like, that's the first, you know. But it, non-profit, again, doesn't mean that you don't make money. So can you explain to us a little bit? Because I think some people would like that clarification between non-profit, profit, B, Cor- B Corp. Like, what's, yeah, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, sure.
1: So so you're completely right in that non-profits, there are some that have um, incredible revenue models and business models. Um, and then within the non-profit sector, it's also really broad and there's so much happening. There's also... Um, Nonprofits that are more charity oriented, like that they are, they base the work that they do based on the donations that they get, and so then there is, to run that as a company is difficult because they're totally based on the kinds of donations, and sometimes that that structure is needed. Like you have relief organizations, that the, their sole purpose of existing is um, to serve after you know after some kind of crisis or to do really important work in that way the hmm. challenge that some non face or so when people are thinking about starting uh, an, an entity or organization and just kind of considering whether a non-profit is the right way to go is that sometimes you are like um, dependent on grants or donations or you know um, funding cycles or foundations or things like that and what that can do and the challenge that that can have is that it's hard for a company to, to kind of build a business model that's sustainable when they don't know that other piece. They don't know if they're going to get the second th- three-year grant to continue their right. work. Um, so that can be the challenge with a nonprofit. And that's why I think um, some of the entrepreneurs or founders right now are that are just starting their companies or um, entities now are thinking, is there another option? And then, of course, they mm-hmm. can go to the for-profit. And there are some really lean for-profit model. you know, like um, structures. Like you can have an LLC mm-hmm. or, or a corporation. What's interesting about that is that – the idea of creating impact is not necessarily baked in, um, you know, into the like core of that of that structure. So, with those structures, especially looking at you know U.S. law and some other um, countries, there's still this idea that you want to maximize profit, and that impact is kind of a side thing that you can have, but it's not core to, to the reason that you started the company. And that's where right. I think a lot of these new legal structures have emerged to fill that space. So. You have the benefit corporation in the US is also the special purpose corporation that a few states have passed and these um like the limited low uh low profit, limited liability companies. So these are like different legal structures that basically kind of say that impact is part of like the essence of, of, of why this company exists. Um and so and so that's kind of another um you know, that's kind of an emerging option. And what I really think and Frankie, I wonder what you think about this too, is I think what's really different right now than in, in different times of uh, business is this, this idea of this millennial, you know, the millennials coming into force in, in the workforce and um, in entrepreneurship because I think it's the millennial generation that kind of says, hey, we don't want to do business the way it's always been done. We want, mm-hmm. we want something else. And I think that's powering a lot of the potential that's out there, you know, um, in the social impact space, and the social entrepreneurship space.
2: Yeah, I think what you're seeing today is collaboration between organizations and people. That that this new generation likes to sit around a table and generate ideas, and and it's kind of less ego and more let's do. You know, it's not I I invented this, but hey, you know what? We got this table of brilliant minds, and I've got pieces of the puzzle, and you do too, and let's just do it. I I, I see that happening, and I think that's really exciting.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think it's we see a lot of it, even you know, on the tech side, people like like the more, millennials now have grown up with things like Wikipedia and, you know, things that are very open source and it, that are kind of contribution related. So it's a different right. way of thinking about starting things and engaging in things and sharing things. It's like a very unique mindset and it's kind of exciting, you know.
2: As a matter of fact, I was listening to um, Bill Bowman speak the other night and and he said that when he was talking to the Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama said that the next Dalai Lama will not be a person. It'll be a bunch of people. So again, we're seeing this this group mentality, this collaboration. It won't be one, it'll be many and of a mindset. And I think that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, that's it's, it's just a really, it's an amazing time where there's kind of collaboration. And I think what's great about this, topic of social innovation is that it's the innovations in technology and communication that are kind of enabling some of these barriers to kind of be lifted so new kinds of people can collaborate and connect in new kinds of ways. So I think we probably don't even, we haven't even realized the potential of that, like what that could lead to or what that can, you know, what that can achieve. And then, you know, on balance, you have some of, like we have some of the, world's most pressing problem's like very much like ahead of us, and that we can see you know very clearly everything from climate change to you know population oh, yeah. we're approaching seven and a half billion people, but Earth has never supported a number of that in, you know before, so thinking about feeding and um you know housing and all of these things for this mass of population, our solution now also has to be financial, you know like it's almost like we have to meet at that level.
2: Right. And it's really, that is very exciting because I was just thinking about, you know, the, the greed of, of corporation and, um, you know, on on the one side you have like the oil companies and then uh, you have, you know, uh, PETA or something, you know, equally. So you have these opposing forces and now what you have emerging is this millennial um, group that is saying, you know what, I want to make money and I want to do good things in the world and I think that, that we can do both and so we don't have to be separate anymore, we can be one. And I can look after, you know, civil rights and social action and environment. I can go after, you know, human, help human rights and educate the world and, you know, help women uh, who, who know how to survive on a dollar a day. Like we can do all of those things and we can still keep our company healthy and, and make money and, and you know, keep, keep the finances of the world so that everybody doesn't crash and people can still own houses and do all that kind of great stuff.
1: Yeah, and what's great about that is maybe before, if you were starting a company in that way, you would say, I don't know if people will pay for this. They may have to pay a little bit more, or they may have to, you know, um, hmm. if it's organic or if it's sustainably, you know. But now, as consumers, we're seeing the shift also. also where there is a, um, like, that consumers want to pay for, they want to be participating in that. And that's actually a multi, like, it's probably a $300 billion plus industry, which is like this, what they call LOHAS, the lifestyle, the healthy and sustainable. And it's this whole kind of a, a, a like a known segment of the market that is actually actively seeking um, goods and services and products that are in this, you know, in this category. So what's great if you're an entrepreneur today, uh, you actually know that there's a market that's out there and growing for you to create this, you know, amazing impact oriented Good or service that
2: you're, yeah, I mean people are buying today uh based on on you know alignment of values with a, with an organization, and I think Whole Foods said that they were the first who came out and did a values kind of commercial based on on affecting people because people wanted to align with that value of of the organization rather than um something else right so so we're seeing that now that that and I think that a long time, you know, I've been there, but, but an organi- when an organization gives their mission and, and their vision statement, you know, people would buy because, you know, it's craft, but maybe now we won't buy craft because we'd rather buy something else, even though it's named brand, because, you know, they're helping the animals or Coke is helping the polar bears or whatever. Maybe that's why I want to buy that product rather than it tastes good or, you know, my mom used it. So we're buying on, you know, because of our value, um rather than, not the value of the product, but the values that we have as people, you know, I value this, um, rather than than just because I know the name. So, they're letting us know who they are. Tom's Shoes, or, you know, you're going to buy Tom's Shoes because you know that they're going to give shoes to children, you know, around the world. As soon as I buy a pair, somebody's going to get a pair that doesn't have any. So, Obviously, I want to buy, if that's my value system, then I want to buy that because I want to make sure that somebody gets a pair of shoes.
1: Yep, that's exactly, and it's kind of neat that, like, because of the success of companies like Tom's, they've kind of proven out that that is a business model, like, that can be sustainable as well, you know. And it's Mm. it's interesting because I mentioned them as um, as an example in the book, and in researching, there is some... Even with Tom's, like they're they're obviously doing good in the sense that they are they've donated, I want to say, millions of shoes at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also controversy around. There, there's space in in this um, in this sector to also question. So there's some questioning around Tom's, like is it, you know brown people are saying is giving something away is it really solving the issue of why you know let's say why the kids don't have shoes? But I think what right. what's, what's really great about the space of social entrepreneurship is. It is space to have those questions and discussions, and maybe the next iteration of startups will will do do it a, a different or you know um, a, a different way, having seen you know what what successful companies like Tom's have done. But so I think now we're reaching we're not at the very very beginning stages of of social entrepreneurship. We're a little bit further in.
2: I want to ask you what you think of this because this really bothers me. <laughs> you uh, you go to your favorite grocery store or, or, you know, some outlet store. And they said, you know, you're at the cash register. Oh, do you want to give $2 today uh, to our charity, you know, children who are homeless or something? And it kind of really bothers me that I'm going to give them $2 and everybody's going to give them $2 and they're going to get this huge tax write-off. And I don't know if they care about it or not. And I don't know how much money is going to go, actually go to this charity or not. But it seems like the charity is just a way, okay, oh, look at us. We're really doing good things. But it doesn't seem as impactful to me as if that was part of their their actual strategy. Uh, You know, they're going to give money, not asking people for their money. Like, I'm going to buy your your product, and out of that, you're going to give away money, not ask me for more money so that you can give away money. What do you think of that?
1: yeah I mean I think that's that's a really like that's kind of been some of the traditional ways that people have done um fundraising and charity you know like um, you know collecting donations for charity um and uh what's interesting is now is maybe for you as like a savvy conscious consumer, you might say i wanna i wouldn't mind if it if the um i don't know if if, if some hand soap or something maybe you wouldn't mind spending like a fifty cents more on it knowing that Part of that went to something that was connected to right. you know reducing plastic waste or something like that, so you so you maybe you would say rather than giving to something that you have no idea, you'd rather give to a company that you like their product, you like what their value system is, and kind of you know so that's kind of part of your participation in the like impact economy is that you're supporting companies like that, and maybe that you feel like is a is a, will have a greater impact in the long run because you're not only um Buying something and getting something out of it, but you 're also kind of supporting the company and, and uh, making it possible for them to continue their work and If they are like a you know one of these newer kinds of social impact companies it 's very likely that they're integrally involved in some of the core issues around you know around um, impact or sustainability or something like that so um, yeah, so maybe I think you bring up a really great point the way people think about um, about kind of financially supporting uh, the sector might be kind of fundamentally changing than you know as as it has been in the past.
2: Yeah, the um, it's interesting, you know, because what like with the nonprofits, I think they're they're finding out today that there's this compassion fatigue because so many people are asking all the time, and you feel bad when you say no. But everybody has their own charities that they give to you and, their, and money and reasons why they need to give. Maybe a brother, a mother, a father died of cancer, whatever, right? Um, and, and we're bombarded all the time. Can you give me more money? You know, I, I think when the strategy is built into the organization, it's, it's a better fit, for me anyway, and, and maybe for others, because I think people are tired of giving. I think I see it all the time. Even last week, with the show last week, with you know, little, little Luke who needs to come to the U.S. and, and get this life-saving, you know, cancer surgery or, or treatments that he can't get in the U.K., You know, one donation, two donations. I didn't expect that. Yeah, I
1: think it's maybe just a different way people are engaging, kind of now. And uh, and and it's a donation, kind of is a one way. It's like a one kind of one way, um, one one way to kind of engage. But if it's like a if it's a company or, or a product or service, it's a relationship. It's like you could be continuing to be part of their. Community are engaging in the future and stuff. So you know, I think that there's space for everything, and I'm sure you know there's there's space for amazing nonprofits like the Red Cross, who go and right. are are so well um, you know situated to go and help in some of the most dire situations. And we need like it's, it's I'm and maybe in that way we don't want to have to think about them being a company, but that they are a nonprofit and that's their sole purpose. But then in in other spaces, I think that there's space for. This kind of middle, you know, like kind of a, a convergence, you know, and where where there's kind of space for in- to, um, startups to innovate and think differently about products and about the policies that they're supporting that create, you know, that create opportunities to further some of the, like, you know, like the the, the legislation or the policies around what's causing the issue that they're passionate about, whether it's you know education or um, climate change or sustainability that you see a lot of the um, startups now, they're actually engaged on the policy side, too, of saying how can we mm-hmm. change things in a really meaningful way. And I think that's kind of a really, you know, that maybe we'll see change happen faster, um,
2: you know. Kind of yeah, I think the policy the startup. is important. Yeah. What, what um, as you teach, because you teach entrepreneurs, you, you offer a lot of, you know, you speak before a lot of people. What is, are there like one, two, three questions that come up all the time that you hear in different groups? Yeah, so um,
1: uh, in my prior role, I was um, designing curriculum and teaching a lot of entrepreneurs, and um, and I have a chance. I get the chance to speak a lot. So actually, just recently spoke to high school students um, who are all like student leaders that were interested um, in 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 uh, healthcare change and being like leaders, and they're all they were all amazing leaders from around the world. So what was great, and I love speaking to um, high school and students. You kind of get a different I don't know. You just get a different set of questions, and um, a lot of the questions that come out is, um, you know, is around entrepreneurship. How do you how do you get started? Like, what is the first thing to do once you have an idea? Um, a lot mm. of people want to know, um, like, uh, when should you? Like, you know, how long should you be working on the product before you release it? You know, and. So I so I think it's it's kind of great. A lot of people want to know, how do I find a co-founder? You know, like, I have an <laughs> idea, but how do I find, and especially, you know, especially if it involves a tech tool or something like that, where mm-hmm. uh, one, you know, one co-founder is on, on the technical side or isn't, and they're trying to find a, you know, um, you know t- trying to find a good group. Sure, so, a partner. Um, so that's, mm-hmm. that's really, yes, yeah, so that's kind of interesting. And then if, if I'm speaking more about um, legal structures and things like that, a lot of people have questions on, how does the benefit corporation, if that's in the legal structure, how do things how does it work and, you know, um how many com- you know, like what states have passed it and things like that. So you get a kind of mix of questions depending on, you know, who you're talking to. Um but what's really amazing and I in um and I wonder if any of your listeners have participated, but there's so many great um like workshops and, and programs to learn about entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and kinda of engage their like ones that are like, you know, kind of they're hackathons, they're two-day workshops um, that you can just kind of immerse yourself. Um, like there's a Startup Weekend, and they often have a Startup Weekend for Social Good and a number of other ones that you can just kind of jump into. And, and in a few days, you can almost learn a set of skills and see yourself as an entrepreneur and work on an idea. And I think this kind of hackathon method is often really effective for entrepreneurship because um, – yeah. You can actually get really far in a short amount of time, and you can test out a lot of things that can save you a lot of time. You know, over a course of months, that you could actually do over a course of hours. So it's,
2: it's yeah, cool. that's really exciting, and it's and it's great to innovate with other people because you know that's what entrepreneurs do. <laughs> they're creative. You know, the create once the creative juices flow, everything's possible. So it's very exciting to be in a room full of other people who, because so often entrepreneurs are, I have found that that people who don't have that entrepreneurial spirit, they don't understand why somebody would want to go into business for themselves. They don't, they're afraid. um, They think it's safer to work for somebody and get a paycheck. They don't get it. And, and so it's, it's a relief sometimes to be in a room full of people who do get it.
1: Yeah, 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 totally. And I think um, what's great is people are thinking about risk in different ways now. So if you can find ways to, um, there are different um, competitions and things like that that you can go to get some seed funding. Like there's one called the D-Prize, D stands for distribution. And the old D-Prize can give up to $20,000 even if you formed a team and were able to kind of secure some funding. Now you kind of lessened a little bit of that initial risk. So you're kind of ready to like jump in and try things out, um, you know, and people are – are thinking about their education in different ways too. So they might right. a lot of I feel like I've heard more and I wonder if you've also heard, I've heard more and more people say they're taking a gap year in between yep. you know, high school and college or, or after college and and, and their next thing. And I think so people are finding ways to build build in this exploration time. So um mm-hmm. so I think it that makes it you know it makes it possible for things like social entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship in general to kind of flourish because you almost if everyone is just on a very that past, there may not be space for uh, for things like starting a company or something like that. But I think that now people are rethinking and re tumbling the idea of their trajectory and kind of there are these pockets, you know, where they're like, yes, I'm going to like jump in and try this thing, you know, that I've been thinking about.
2: One, um, there's a young man I'm coaching currently who who is an entrepreneur. He's 19, very exciting stuff um but he likes to learn online he didn't go to college but he says you know I I take a lot of courses online entrepreneurial stuff and and so do you have any product that you you think that might become an online product for entrepreneurs kids who like to learn online yeah. or don't yeah. we
1: are we're, we're working on an online class right now so um that that could be a great um resource and whereas well, the mm-hmm. book comes out um and friend i think even if he if he's good about um uh, if he enjoys reading like there's a number of blog posts now that are up over, you know, 300 that are about, that kind of walk through different things, you know, on entrepreneurship. So those things are also available. And then even, I'm sure he's so connected to some of the other tools, the broader tools out there, but there are now online classes on aspects of social entrepreneurship on Coursera and, um, you know, Khan Academy and all of the different online, you know, uh, platforms
2: so if somebody came to you, Neil, and they said, you know, I've got an idea for a fantastic product invention, it's going to change the world, revolutionize, um, you know, it's going to be have deep impact, um, are they, are, you know, are you encouraging people to copyright their ideas or to do something like that, to say, you know, to safeguard, or is that necessary?
1: I guess it depends on kind of like what kind of idea they have. Um I would say, like with entrepreneurship, like ninety percent is the perspiration. So I would say, like for an entrepreneur, don't let that protection of you know, like holding or kind of um, trying to protect your idea, limit you or stop you from actually seeing whether that idea is worth worth its you know, worth its weight in anything. You know, so I would say, um, yeah, there's a especially in in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley, there's this big idea of like sharing, kind of sharing ideas and like just Pitching whenever you can. I always say, like you know, always be pitching because you know, if the the, the moment we start to say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to share because I'm not sure. I mean, there's a right. chance, yes, that someone's going to take your idea. The hard work, the hard part of your idea isn't the idea. It's all of the work that's going to be required to make that idea into a reality, and that exactly. is that's not
2: easy. <laughs> uh, you know, I have a frank, I have some Frankieisms. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of the one of them is that, that opportunities aren't lost. They're not actioned upon. And that's the thing. I mean, people, you know, you can watch a commercial or see something and people go, oh, I thought of that. I thought about that eight years ago. You know, yeah, well, you didn't do anything with it. And and that's what you're saying. It's that not, you know, you got to get in there and, and work it. Make it happen. Exactly. That's what entrepreneurs do. They make it. They create it. And that's what I love about entrepreneurism for me is that birthing experience is like bursting that idea and turning it into reality that's exciting for me that's the most exciting part
1: yeah that's it's very it's amazing and i think what's what's so great is if if you do just kind of you know there's this idea of the lean the lean approach to startups and you have like your the, the simplest version of what you want to build or put out there, and you put that out there, and then you let people interact with it. You let them comment or say what, what your know, future they'd rather see um, and things like that. In a short amount of time, you can actually kind of make sure that you're building something that somebody wants. And I think that's, um, you know, I think as you see some of the the new startups that are trying things out in the social entrepreneurship space, it's interesting because I've been interviewing and working on this for the past four years. There are people that I've talked to, like, who after a couple of years are no longer working on that social enterprise. Like it doesn't exist in that form. But what's yeah. what's great is you know that they tried a lot of things and maybe that wasn't the iteration, but that they themselves now have all of that knowledge of like what worked, what didn't work, and they're carrying that to whatever next thing that they're going to, you know. So I think I know. the other big thing um, with this space is that you also you have to rethink uh, you have to think differently about failure. I think especially mm-hmm. about when you're thinking about the impact space because, you know, you may not have, maybe your goal was to help a million people and you only helped a thousand. First of all, you still help those thousand. But secondly, right. you got all that experience that you'll, you can carry on to whatever great thing you do you know,
2: next. Exactly. I love that. That's right. You know, I, I keep telling my kids that same thing. It's like it's, you're adding to your toolbox. It doesn't matter if you're never going to, you know, if that's not your career for the rest of your life. You've added something to your toolbox that's going to be useful uh as a transferable skill in something else. So tell tell us I'm really curious about your time spent um in in India, in Mumbai when you know, working with um not with the government but with, with in the small villages. What did you do there?
1: Yeah, so that was one of the most like you know life impacting uh um, times two thousand and three and there had been an earthquake in um in this region a rural region in India called um outside of pooj um, and uh-huh. my family is from um, my my family's from India both my parents grew up in Mumbai, which is a big metropolis huge city sure um this was a small village, so even my family hadn 't grown up in like a village as you know per se, but we went um. Uh, I found an organization that my sister, um, her good friend, was, was connected to. So I had a chance to go there, and even though it had been two years since the earthquake, um, and it, um, some really great work had happened, there was still a lot of, um, like, areas of rubble, some areas that you walked to stuff. It felt like the earthquake happened yesterday, you know, and not two years mm-hmm. ago. Um, and uh, and then the organization that I worked with had um, was doing a lot in education. So they had built – school so we were literally in like these huts you know we were sleeping and teaching out of these like kind of mud huts with um wow. like, cause it, was a, it, it was a temporary area so I basically showed up and said I want to help in any way you put me do have me do anything I'll, I'll I'm, I'm I have come without any um you know preconceived notions so I helped sure. out in the office and then I helped with. I taught two classes of English So I taught um uh, girls that were in, like, fifth grade and then an adult class of a lot of the people that helped and were volunteers or, you know, uh, all some of the adults that wanted to learn English. Um, and it was, I would say that that I learned so much more and gained so much more from the kids. A lot of the kids that were living there at the orphanage had been, um, like, personally affected by the earthquake. Some of them had been, um, you know, had lost a parent or two or family mm-hmm. members some of them were just in other ways like directly impacted. And to see, first of all, how much hope and joy and laughter that they shared and like spread was amazing. And, um, and to kind of see them learn, like be so excited about learning and having this like space that was like a safe space to learn. Um, and there were a lot of, besides myself, there were a number of international people coming through. So they almost had like like this steady stream of people that could tell them about the world. And, their curiosity and interest was just, like, you know, it was just amazing. Um, and so – and what was nice is that this was um, – like this is in 2003, I mentioned. So there wasn't great Internet access, but we did have some pretty good Internet access in different, um, you know, Internet cafes and stuff. So what I did is I told my friends here, my college friends, I said, hey, can you guys
2: be pen pals
1: with my students? So that kind of forced my students um, – to write letters, and I would type them up and email my friends, and my friends would type things back, and I would print them out and show them, but they almost – we created, like, a little pen pal system, and so um, it was so meaningful to both sides. Like, my friends loved it, and then the the kids, the students were just, like, they felt so – like, they wanted – they still wanted to make sure they were using the correct English, you know, (laughs) so Um. um, that was a really special, very special um, time. And what was really in- special for me is um was that my mom actually joined me and it's very interesting in areas um like my mom, even though she grew up in India, i sorry, there's a truck coming guy. Um she grew up in India, um, she she didn't always um do a lot of this um non profit kind of volunteer work. And so for her it was it was just so neat for, for me to see her. Sorry. It was just so neat for uh for me to see her um in that role of of you know, of teaching and like volunteering and it was that was very special too.
2: Wow. So you do you speak um different languages? Like do, yes. do they speak so, what do they speak to the Urdu or Yeah, um, yeah.
1: So they, they um they spoke Gujarati, which is the language that I kinda grew up speaking as well. And then they okay. spoke um you know spoke a little Hindi there. Um and uh yeah and they had some different um different uh like dialects and languages as well. So I I could um I could converse a little bit. I am not very I'm not very literate, like I can't read and I, I can't read and write. Mm-hmm. Uh Gujarati, but I could speak. So what was great is uh, they would be correcting my Gujarati <laughs> I was correcting yeah. guys but and, and in order for me to teach, my Gujarati improved quite a bit too. Because just you know, they would otherwise they would kind of I'd see them all giggling or laughing, like I'm using the wrong word or
2: you know, so. That's so cute. Oh my gosh! You know, the, the other day I got um, on Twitter. I, a, a young girl. I think she was from Pakistan. She she says I want to come and work for you, and I said, Well, what do you mean you want to work for me? At and she says, Well, I I went to a class about being an entrepreneur. And um, I want and motivation and, and, and I want to be a motivational speaker and I want to change the world and I want to, you know, to give this message of peace and love. And I felt so bad because I, I have nothing that you can come and work for, <laughs> me, <laughs> you know, but it's so beautiful to see that she had taken this class and that she wanted to send this message out to the world and somehow uh, do that. And uh, wow, that's how great. can I help now you? Have you? To, you
1: have to find a, a virtual internship program that you create.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not that big, but uh, I, I just love the idea that that you know they're getting education, and this education is is giving them these, you know, grand, beautiful ideas of, of how they're going to go change the world, and that's amazing to me. I love that. Yeah, it's, you know, there's nothing more important than education. We don't know what we don't know and, and, you know, sometimes that can be a good thing in business, you know, to have the person who knows the least offer the solution because they don't have preconceived conceptions. And and at the same time, you know, especially with entrepreneurs, you know, to have people who are educated because education um, you know, brings so much, so much to the table.
1: Yeah, totally. And now with, uh, with you know, new ways to learn and new ways to connect. Like the fact that she like learned something and then looked you up and found you, it's such an amazing it's like so many things had to happen and
2: had to be available for those
1: things to happen. Yeah.
2: It's crazy how people find you now, isn't it? Just it's it's just a new world. It's a such a new world. And it's changing all the time. And we have like even with the B Corps, you know, everybody I have spoken to in business, um, who is in business, nobody has heard of that. Now in your world everybody probably has. And and maybe that's Silicon Valley, I don't know, but here, you know, uh, the from people I've talked to throughout the US, um on the eastern, bo- you know, seaboard or or Canada, they haven't heard of it. And I I think that I that's interesting. So the impact um still needs there's still lots of room.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because when I first started um the blog and even um, first started thinking about the book, I thought it would be a much more, I, w- I won't say academic, but more kind of uh, a deeper study into case studies and things like that. But um, through speaking and engaging, I realized that that's not really the need that I see. It's more just letting people know that these things are out there, you know, and that people can, like, what it is and yeah. how to use it, you know?
2: Yeah. So what would you, so what would you say that, that? um your top five qualities for an entrepreneur what what would somebody need you know in your opinion a good entrepreneur what what should they be or who should they be or how should they you know what value should they have or just you know describe the perfect entrepreneur
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that there's probably a lot can um like you know that that can coexist to be effective, but I think someone that I've seen in um in the different in the like seventy or so 70 or 80 interviews I've done, is that you see a a tenacity. That's that's a huge thing because a lot of times as an entrepreneur, you see something in your head, but it's up to you to, like, explain that and prove that out to people who are like, you're crazy. Like, you know, that can never happen, Mm -hmm. you know. But, I mean, so I think that kind of belief um, in in yourself and the tenacity to kind of pursue it, even if it doesn't seem, it's not readily available or apparent that it's going to be Um, successful or, you know, worthwhile, so that's one. I think adaptability, and I I don't just say that because it's one of the qualities that I've, you know, uh, have kind of created through time, but I think there is something because especially in today's world um, for entrepreneurship and everything, tomorrow if some new technology comes out or some um, innovation happens, everything Mm -hmm. that you've been planning could completely change, you know, like, you know, so, so I think being able to know that, even what you're building, yes, yeah, know that everything you're building could shift depending on how the ecosystem around it, you know, changes. Um, Good point. I think, uh, yeah, and I, you know, I think other qualities are communication. I think being able to communicate well, and it's it's huge because you're you you start out with maybe one or two or three people, and being able to communicate between, um, so like just your small group is huge. But then when you as you grow and scale. And you have like hundreds of people or thousands of people like you're especially in the social impact space, you're also you're communicating not only the business goals but also what how you're creating impact through time. And so I think that kind communication, um, you know, is 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 really is really helpful. Um, I think a sense of humor doesn't hurt, you know, because yeah. Sometimes, you know, in uh, in, uh being able to kinda of laugh at yourself and laugh at you know, at, at each other and all of that kind of can uh, can keep things um, light enough where you can, you know, kind of continue on, uh, you know, to the next thing and be able to reflect in different ways and, uh, you know, and just have a good time with it. Um, yeah, and I think so. I think those are some, some good qualities. Those are shoulders. excellent
2: qualities. Yeah, those are very good qualities and traits. I think uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I like that. You talk about storytelling, and I know that, that we said that you're a master storyteller, and storytelling is important because you have to be able to, to share that vision and make other people see it. So what would you encourage people to do in order to to become more proficient at that? Yeah,
1: and I think um, I've spent a lot of time um, teaching and delivering content around pitching, and so that's a huge in amazing kind of frame for storytelling because you're often pitching in two or five minutes or maybe ten minutes, and you're telling the whole story, all the – you're trying to take all the complicated things that your company or that you're trying to do and simplify it in something that's digestible to someone who doesn't maybe know anything about what you're doing. So I think a big – one big thing uh, to start out with in storytelling, and this might be counterintuitive because you think it's all about you, but to start out with and thinking First, who is your audience? Um, mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, when we it, when we make some initial assumptions, you may completely lose your platform to tell your story. Because if you come in and just start um, throwing around buzzwords and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, you, and then you realize then you find out later that your audience had zero knowledge and never even heard of this field, or had you they may not have even kind of engaged. Like you may just kind of miss that opportunity. So, um, right. so knowing your audience is good. And then um and then thinking about what to them and with your story is gonna resonate the most. So a lot of times I think if you're in a um if you're telling your story in places where they don't know much about your topic, starting with something really personal, like a very personal story, um, can help to bring to invite them into the space with you. Mm-hmm. You know, like where it doesn't feel um like I have no idea about their psychology, I don't even know what the startup, I don't know if they're gonna make it, I don't know what, you know. So I think that's um another part of storytelling is something personal it funny. It can be yeah, it can be and then use that yeah. as a frame to kind of to explain, you know, um, you know, then we talk about you know, set up if, if you're pitching, let's say, you know, set up the problem that you're solving and then the solution that your um that your company or your uh, product or service offers. So kind of bringing right. it in that way. But I think what happens and I've now that I've seen a lot of pitches is that sometimes what they're building and everything is amazing. It's great, and people will be really interested. But you can get a little lost in how that story is told. Like you kind of miss, kind of miss the gem there because maybe it's hidden or it's you know or you. you I kind have of to start stop in a way.
2: You. I'm so uh-huh. sorry. We have we have less than 90 seconds. <laughs> I just went, oh, so okay. oh, went so quick. Oh, good. Nico Parrish was my guest today. She she is the founder and CEO of Innovate Social. And your website, really quickly, tell us where it, where we can get it. Find you. Yeah, it's Innovate
1: Social. I N N O V the number eight Social dot com.
2: Thank you so much for being my guest today. You've been absolutely amazing, and I know that everybody who's going to be listening to this later on today and in the future is is going to be absolutely fascinated by you. Thanks again, Yithol, for joining the Good Radio Network, for coming on as my guest today, and for doing what you do with Innovate Social. Take care. Bye now. Goodbye, everybody. Have a great day wherever you are in the world. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for joining us. This has been the Good Radio Network with the princess of positivity, Frankie Picasso. Are you ready to walk the talk? Turn talk into doing? Then get out there and do a world of good. You've got the power. <laughs>